We are I. How do you even start this story appropriately? Because this one, this one has a lot of twists and turns to it. And, you know, maybe I should dial it like way back to, uh, way back to the beginning. You know, I know I talked about the journey in, you know, which I don't know if, uh, if anybody put two and two together who listened to the, the first part of this or just the, the trek in, but there's also the, the trek out. Um, but that'll be a part of this story. So, Melissa and I, we head up together and we get to Pemberton, well, it's early, you know, around like 9.30, you know, we place a phone call to the rest of the team members coming up, realize that they won't be up until, you know, around like 12.30, 1 o'clock and, you know, we are already decided we would go down the, the north side of the valley, you know, the old way to be able to get to Meeker Creek Hot Springs before the landslide and the, the bridge washed out just to see like what it was like to be able to cross the river from there because you can drive almost all the way in at that point. Like you can drive to the 25K, 26K mark, but on the opposite side of the river. But since this landslide, this valley basin, I guess is what you'd call it, is hmm, probably about a mile wide. You know, and this mile wide is the debris from a landslide, which now just kind of looks like a massive giant riverbed that's dry. There's a little bit of a river into it, but it would, I don't even know how to really explain how small it is in contrast. So this river is about an average size river, but there's probably, I don't even know, it's probably 15 feet across in most spots. You know, some spots, you know, kind of fan out to be about 30, 40, maybe 50 feet wide. But in this specific spot, it's about 15 feet wide out of the mile across that this is. So it kind of gives you a contrast of, you know, how much dry riverbed you'd have to cross. And, you know, it's not like it's challenging to be able to cross a section like this. The most challenging part would be to cross the river. And it's like, you know, how wet do you get? Does all your gear get wet? Does somebody get swept down river a little bit? You know, like, like what's the risk of crossing this river, you know, to be able to get to the other side? Because there is no other water source to be able to cross at this specific junction. It's just this one area. So, okay, that's a decision. You know, we go travel down this and again, we're in Melissa's Jeep. So, you know, we're cruising right along. Pretty empty road in the morning, yet it's a Friday morning, probably typical most people at work. You know, we come back out and it's around noon and we just start to see the people piling in. And it's hunting season right now and I can tell all these guys they're hunters. And so I'm a little bit jealous about that, but at the same time, I'm about to embark on something really cool. You know, we survey this whole situation and we kind of understand fully what it's like. And we're driving back out and we're talking about what do we stick to original plan? Because the plan was to be able to ride these bikes in. Although we always agreed that we were going to survey this and this could be an option, you know, like what do we do? Do we take the higher risk river crossing, which isn't, you know, isn't that bad? You know, like we could have probably found a spot that was eight or 10 feet across the pass, but it was still, you know, pretty fast flowing, you know, 
I would say, if I had to venture a guess, lots of it waist deep to neck deep in fast flowing water. So you would need rope to be able to cross it safely. You know, could you do that? You know, for sure. Could one one person have to get wet to be able to get across? Absolutely. You know, but is the risk worth it? So her and I, we debate this back and forth on the drive out. And then we get back to the main road and we say, okay, well, should we go look at the south side? Because like what I said, I'm like, if, if it's a Friday and people are working, maybe that first gate is open because the loggers and logging trucks are going in and out. So we did pass a logging truck on the way in. So it's like, well, wouldn't that be crazy? Wouldn't it be crazy if we could just drive all the bikes in, stash them, and then, you know, get everybody in there. And then one of us drives back out, which would be me with a bike. And then I'll bike back in and all these guys can continue on. At least it gets like, you know, everybody that much further down the road. Because if this gate was open, we couldn't just leave the vehicles in there. Because then it would be closed on the weekend and we wouldn't be able to get out on Sunday. So we go around the other side. It's only at the two kilometer mark. And, you know, we get in there, we get there fast in about 15 minutes. And realize that the gate is closed. And it's like, well, there's that option. Downs are back down. From three options to two options. And some of my gut tells me, you know, like, you know, lots of times I'll deviate from the plan. But I'm like, in this specific circumstance situation, you know, I should probably just stick with the original plan. But I'm like, I'm going to put it out to to the whole group. And so I say to Melissa, I'm like, I think that this is fair. A voice, you know, for both sides. I'll voice what I think that we should do, but I'll let everybody decide. So we go back into Pemberton, and as we're pulling into Pemberton, the rest of the team members, Melissa, or Melissa, Heather, Mackenzie, and Shelby start to pull in. And we sit down, we take a vote, and everybody's like, you know what, let's just stick with the bikes. That was the original plan. And we're like, okay. You know, so we hop into the grocery store, just get a couple snacks, you know, grab a little water, and then we head out. And we pull up to this gate. We get all the bikes unloaded. We get all the gear packed on. We hop on these bikes and we get through. Now, I'm not going to bore anybody like recapping the story of the, you know, the journey, the death march it took to be able to get to Meager Creek Hot Springs because you can go back and listen to that at 5.59, I think it is. And, but man, what a journey. I just like every time I stop and think about it, it's just... From how sore your ass gets, even with a full suspension bike when you're riding on flat ground, but just bouncing continually all the time, but then bouncing, you know, with like an 80 pound pack on your back, you know, bouncing on that hard ass seat, you know, and there's, you can't stand up because if anybody who's rode a full suspension bike before knows that if you stand up and try to pedal, like, well, it's completely pointless because the bike absorbs most of your energy, what you're putting in to be able to try to turn these pedals. So, okay, let's skip forward past this because I'm going to start to rant on about this bike ride because it still just burns in my mind so hard about how hard it was. So we get to Meager Creek Hot Springs. You know, we walk through the forest, we get down and we see this little hut and we see this beautiful hot spring right in front of us with this waterfall. And, you know, immediately in my mind, first thing you do, especially since it's nightfall and we're in grizzly bear country, it's like we need to build a fire. So and the one best thing about, you know, people in the back country is that when we got there in the fire pit was already kindling to be able to start a fire. 
You know, and those little things go a long way for people when you first get there and you're exhausted or you just want to start a fire. And it's the, the courteous nature and the type of people that you come across when you're in the backcountry, especially that far back and have put in that much effort. So I immediately started to get the fire going and, you know, like the ladies, they see this little cabin, they check out one of them, it's an outhouse and they're all happy that there's this outhouse there. And then they check out this other little cabin and it turns out that it's a, a change room from when these hot springs used to be open and active and people needed a place to change. But now it's this like little 10 by 10 cabin that people sleep in. So they all claim this, the four of them, and they're not even thinking about setting up a tent, which is ironic because I obviously packed in one of these tents for the last 33 kilometers and now it's clearly not getting used you know but obviously there's other people in the same boat because none of their tents got used and they had to pack them in too but you know better to be prepared and we didn't know that this cabin was necessarily there anybody had the option of sleeping in it so they all start setting up and I get the fire started and then I make the call like, look, I know you guys want to get organized for the night and I'm excited too, but I'm like, we really just need to get this fire going. If everybody could collect some firewood, that would be really helpful. So they all did. They know the importance. We've all been in the backcountry together. They know that it's a priority and everybody's hungry. Everybody wants to eat. Everybody wants a fire and everybody wants to keep the bears away. You know, so they go out and I'm getting the fire going. They're out going and collecting and I'm chopping firewood and getting the fire going. We have this nice, beautiful fire going and it lights up the air and we can see how beautiful the hot springs are. And I've posted pictures now on Instagram about this. You can cruise through them. There's this kidney-shaped hot springs right in front of the cabin that has this beautiful, natural little waterfall to it. And it just cascades this water that is probably... I don't even know, like you can't stick your hand underneath. It's like sticking your hand almost in a boiling pot of water. Like it is ridiculously hot. You know, and this hot spring is about belly button deep. So when you sit in it, it's, you know, up to your chin and it's really comfortable, beautiful bathtub warm, slightly warmer than bathtub warm, you know, where you can sit in it for about 20 minutes before you get too hot. But now I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. So we get this fire going and we get the steaks going because, you know, I can't go into the back country without eating some ribeye steaks. So I slap my steaks down on the rock and they're sizzling and cooking away. And, you know, by now, half the people don't want to eat. So they're already in the hot springs enjoying themselves. And I'm going out and collecting more firewood and I sit down and eat and just love hearing the laughter and the enthusiasm of everybody around me of just how ecstatic they are putting in all this effort because that's what I said when we were walking in and when we were pushing these bikes and bike riding is that I want this kind of struggle so that when we get there you can appreciate how amazing this place is and just the absolute wonder that natural hot springs are like I don't want to go in I don't want to drive right to them and just sit down I want my body to be aching when we get here so that I deserve it I want my my belly to be full and my muscles to be hungry to go sit in there. So now that nightfall has really started to fall and it's, you know, around like 9, 9.30 at night and you look up into the sky and there's there's millions of stars. These, these stars are everywhere. All the constellations that you can see in this valley that kind of runs, you know, northeast to southwest. The Milky Way runs right down this valley. Almost the entire length of this valley, as far as the eye can see, the Milky Way runs. So and I'm looking back up and over, and there goes across the sky, Starlink, which I think 
is one of the things that really goes to show how human beings are doing something different on this planet is when you see Starlink floating through the sky. And especially now because you can stand there and watch Starlink go through the sky for minutes, not seconds. Like I remember his first launch and there was only six or seven of those satellites. And now there's tens of satellites that are going through the sky. And you can stand there in awe and say, you know, we really are doing something different. If we're taking this to lower Earth orbit, that is now part of our playground. Like, human beings are doing something different. So, we all end up in these hot springs. Everybody's chit-chatting away and having fun and relaxing and, you know, just enjoying their time. And, you know, it's getting to be around 11 o'clock, so everybody decides to shut it down because it's been a long day. You know, I've been up since, you know, 3.30 in the morning getting stuff ready and everybody else is had a long day too never mind our our journey and our trek to be able to get in and we still have all day the next day and we're supposed to be going on this hike up to Harrison Hut and you know potentially Mount Overseer so everybody goes to bed and I'm laying there in my tent by myself and I'm just so hot because I realize that the earth is warm in this area too you know because hot springs are created you know because of the volcanic activity underneath the earth and that's why in bc we have thousands of hot springs is because the the volcanic activity is so high around here that it warms up that water and it starts you know coming through the ground and then we just get the luxury of being able to bathe in it but it's also a warning sign that that big one really is coming and i'm sitting there and i just can't get comfortable and i'm laying i'm you know, peeling the toque off, the gloves off, the pajamas, you know, the getting out of my sleeping bags is just so hot. Like my body temperature is so hot from, you know, laying in these hot springs and enjoying myself and just letting my muscles relax and recuperate. And now I just want to go to bed and get some sleep. And I can't because I'm just boiling, boiling hot. So get next to no sleep that night. Morning comes around 530 in the morning. Everybody's up moving around. I kind of survey everybody about, you know, like, who wants to go on this hike? You know, and Mackenzie and Shelby said that they would rather just, because of how hard the day was before, they'd rather just hang out. Melissa had already said that the night before and stuff. And Heather said that she would go if, if I was going to go. And then I thought to myself, you know, it's just, if everybody's not going to go, I'm not going to go to. I'm just going to hang out around here and I'm going to find something to do because, you know, like, why not appreciate this area and these hot springs and this river where you can do, you know, basically ice bath and hot tub, you know, back and forth all day, however you want to do it. And for however many times at any point in the day of your liking, you know, so in the morning, I realized for the first time being that far into the backcountry, having access to warm water, just to have like a, a hot bath to rinse off, like how great that feels how much I love to be able to start my morning with a nice warm shower. And now I'm, you know, 33 kilometers into the backcountry after, you know, driving for 45 minutes to even get to the place where we're going to park. Like we're deep into the backcountry now and having a nice warm bath to be able to start my day while I'm overlooking a raging river, which was incredible. And I go back and get cleaned up, have some breakfast and I'm touring around and, you know, say to everybody, we should probably get some firewood early because we should do this a few times today because, you know, like once nighttime comes around, you know, like it's good to have your stockpile of firewood already there instead of having to scrounge for firewood in the middle of the night or when it's dark. So everybody agrees and we're walking around and collecting firewood and I'm chopping down some dead trees with my hatchet and, you know, we come across like this, this other area where Shelby thinks she sees an old abandoned car and she's dumbfounded by this and 
know, we keep trying to say to her that, you know, you can be in the backcountry almost anywhere. And for some odd reason, you're going to find, you know, an old rusted out car from, you know, 50, 60, 80, 100 years ago. Like there's just some, for some reason in the backcountry, there's old cars in the middle of nowhere that makes no sense. And sometimes it doesn't even seem like there's a road around and how this car got there is beyond me. So we say, once we're done all this, we're going to go on a little adventure and we're going to check it out. So we go back and we get the wood all set up and I'm touring around and I'm down by the water and, you know, kind of getting our food all stored up in the, in the river just to be able to keep it cold. And I notice that of all the places where the hot springs are running over the bank and into the river, there's this one spot where it looks like it's kind of pooling. So I go down to the river and I check it out and the water's warm and you're in the river and it's and the, the, just with the amount of water coming into it, it's just warm this little section. So I'm like, fuck, if I dam this section off right here, I can create my own little hot tub inside the river. Not beside it, like actually legit inside the river. So then I get it all, you know, fast enough and I go up to everybody. And I'm like, hey, come check out what I built. Because I knew this was going to happen. If I didn't go on this hike, I was going to end up building something. So then everybody kind of comes down and, you know, slowly over the course of time, they check it out. And they're just like, wow, this is so crazy. It's like a one person hot tub in the river. So I'm like, well, let's make it a little bit bigger. Let's let's see if we can make it enough room for like two or three people where they can sit and chill in this spot, especially at nighttime. We're going to be down by the river and looking up at the stars. So we dig down and we get all these rocks moved out on the sand, moved out and we create this space that's big enough for about three people. But the problem is now there's too much water dammed in here and there's still cold water that comes in from the river because you're building a rock dam. It's not a, a solid dam. So you have all this water coming in, but now it's trapped in there and it's flowing out the other side, but then it's also diluting the hot water. So I was like, shit, kind of like built this for nothing. Like, what can I do? And then I see up at one of the other hot springs, there's this old six inch gate valve that comes out of one of the best hot spring tubs that's there. It's like a one, two person hot spring right on the edge, right above where we're at right now. And it's beautiful. Like I said, in my opinion, best one there. And so I'm like, man, if I just had some pipe, you know, I could run an auxiliary line down here and just like pump the water from one of these other um, hot springs down into this one that I want because there's nobody else here but us anyway if you know to be able to complain about one of those pools being drained so I'm like okay search is on I found a for some reason a, a 20 inch piece of ABS plumbing pipe beside this little hut that was a change room I have no idea why that's there and beyond me and find some plumbing pipe so I'm like okay kind of put it out of sight out of mind and I'm like, hey, you know, who wants to go on an, an adventure now? You know, because it's getting pretty hot and I want to move around. I'm getting antsy and like, let's go check out to see if this old car is there. Well, we go walking back into this area and realize that there's no old car. It's just the way that the leaves are kind of shining on this one tree branch. They made it look a little silver and Shelby thought it was a car, which is fine. We've all seen a bunch of weird shit in the backcountry that turned out to not be there. But then we end up in this old growth cedar forest where these trees like the circumference of them is probably 18 or 20 feet. Like it is bananas. Like you can stand there against them and almost go in between the bark as a full grown adult. Like that's how big these trees were. It was incredible. Like I've, I've seen big trees before and I've actually seen bigger ones than this, but like whenever you see trees that big, it is absolutely awestrucking. Like 
you can actually that trees grow that big because they're not they're not everywhere anymore. And when you see them and you see, you know, like 10, 15, 20 of them just in the immediate area that you're in, it you can't help to be dumbfounded. So we start looking around this area and realize that it's an old campsite and look around a little bit more and seeing that there's all these old man built aqueducts into like these pools and realize that we might be in like the old hot spring area or you know, like a secondary hot spring area that, you know, maybe newer, but doesn't look like it looks like the original one that was there. And then where we are now is where the new one is, which was crazy. Like I've never, I never would have guessed that this place is that big. So we started wandering all around through the trees and all through this, you know, campsite area and realized that like at one point in time, like there's probably two or 300 people camping in this area. Like like no word of a lie, like that's how big this area and how many campsites there were and how many fire rings you would see. And they were spread over the course of, you know, from when you walk in right beside the road down to the river and then for about a kilometer straight back. Like it was a long ways. The just campsites spread out everywhere. So you couldn't help but think like, you know, what this place was like in its heydays. So you start kind of letting your mind go there and seeing all the people walking around and enjoying it because, you know, Meager Creek Hot Springs was the biggest non-commercialized hot springs that was maintained by BC Parks anywhere in BC. Like, like this place was massive at one point in time. So we're walking around and we get through the bushes and I just happened to see this, you know, one and a half inch PEX pipe, you know, or conduit i don't even know what it was just some kind of plastic pipe i'm pretty sure that it was pex pipe now that i don't really try to say that it might be conduit it's not electrical it's for water obviously because it was there and i'm like hey this is that piece of pipe that i needed so i'm like okay i got this abs pipe over there i got this pipe here now and we go back to camp and i'm like you know who has any like tape or like ties and then mckenzie's like i got these like rubber twist tie things that you know i got for you know tying things onto your pack or tying things that you need. Like they're just, they're just these weird rubber twist ties that are about, you know, a foot and a half or a foot and three quarters long. I'm like, perfect. Then I find a Guinness can from one of the Guinnesses that I drank. And I'm like, okay, you know, I could attach this together. And then I'm like, who has a Ziploc bag or something? And, you know, then um, Mackenzie was like, I got a Ziploc bag too. I said, okay, perfect. I'm like, leave this with me and I'm coming back. So I'm down there and I bring all these supplies down there and I'm, you know, I attach the Ziploc bag to the six, <coughs> six inch gate valve, twist one of these ties around, cinch it down really tight. And now Mackenzie and Heather come down to be able to, you know, check this out too. And I got this, you know, 15 foot piece of pipe going down to the uh, little grotto that I built and that we end up digging out together. And then I have the cut the top and the bottom off the Guinness can and slid it over top of the white PEX pipe and slid the ABS in there and used it as a joiner. And then I attached the, or cut a little hole in the Ziploc bag and put that through the ABS pipe and took the other rubber twist, I think, and wrapped it around there. And it was enough to be able to create the flow. But if I opened up the gate valve too high, it started to back the water up against the Ziploc bag over the ABS pipe and it popped the Ziploc bag off. So I was like, huh. So I'm like, okay, put it back on. Then I used some rocks to be able to reduce the Ziploc bag, but still be able to create enough vacuum that it actually pushed the water down the pipe even better. So I used this um, Ziploc bag with these ties and these rocks as a reducer from the six inch to the six inch gate valve to the one and a half inch ABS pipe. 
and created this flow of water from this hot spring down into this new hot spring that we built. And there's a video on Instagram that I posted about that too. And I'm sorry if it's a boring part of it, but to me, it was exciting because I, I knew this was going to happen, that if I didn't go on a hike, just the type of person I am, I knew that I was going to end up building something and just knowing that I have those engineering skills inside me to be able to see this problem and then find these materials and figure out how to be able to make it work. And it worked flawlessly, like absolutely flawlessly. It was so cool. And... Um, so we're like, okay, we're going to leave it here for now. And, you know, like tonight we'll crank this thing open and we'll fill up this bottom one and just be able to sit by this river. And then we go back up to the top. And by now it's like 30, 32, 33 degrees. It's so hot. Like up by the campsite. And then never mind, like around the hot springs, it's so hot too. So we all go down by the river and we're chilling. And, you know, we realize where we put the food in the water that the water table had gone down. So, you know, we had to move it over. And we, so we decided to move it over by the little grotto that we built. And get it back in the water, you know, keep the rest of the meat cold and just kind of sitting there hanging out and relaxing and chit chatting and stuff. And, you know, we kind of let the time fly by and just hanging out and just enjoying company, enjoying the friends, you know, telling stories and, you know, we're just enjoying the day and the effort that we put in to be able to get to this beautiful place and, you know, just trying to absorb it into your soul, into the person that you are, you know, and just hang out there and appreciate everything that you can see and walk around and check out all the different hot springs and all the different areas and just just love it and and fill the eyes and fill the hearts to be able to tell the campfire stories because you know as I said to everybody I'm like this this trip this is what campfire stories or this is what campfires are made for to be able to tell stories like what we're going to do this weekend and it turned out to be just that and then as I'm standing there you know, kind of getting everything organized. I go back and I check up my gate valve and everybody else, you know, walks back up to camp. And I hear this kind of weird sound in the distance. And I look up and all of a sudden this A-Star 350, this midnight blue one just comes cruising right by me about 10 feet above my head, makes a quick turn and then lands. I can tell it lands over by the bridge. And I was like, oh, I'm like, here we go. I'm like, obviously somebody's not happy that we're here. And I go walking back up and I see that there's this guy with a dog. And I'm like, well, this guy didn't, didn't come in on that helicopter because that helicopter just flew over me like 15 seconds ago. And this guy's already here and has got this great big dog that you could tell is nice, but it looks like it could be vicious when it needs to be. And I could tell all four ladies kind of had their back against the wall a little bit. And then this guy's leading his dog all around our camp just letting his dog sniff everything. And I'm like, you know, what is going on? I'm like, this just seems so weird. And then this dog comes over to me and I'm standing by my life straw gravity feed filter bag. And uh, for some reason, when he came over, I just immediately started cupping this water in my hand and letting the dog lick this water out of my hand, which I thought as it was happening, I'm like, this is really weird behavior to me. I'm like, normally I wouldn't do anything like this, but it was my instinct just to do it. I never put any thought into it. I just immediately started to do it. And then, so we get this really weird feeling about this guy being there. And he's just like, you know, you guys going to be here tonight? Yeah, you know, okay, you know, like, you know, do you mind if we hang out for like 30 minutes? So, no, but we, like who, like you and your dog? Like, you know, we don't own this place. You can do whatever you want. Like, that's totally fine. Like, the more the merrier, right? So all of a sudden, like he leaves and then he comes back and, there's these two prostitutes or these strippers or 
OnlyFans girls, you know, like mid-20s, late-20s, you know, blonde hair, big fake boobs, tiny little outfits. And I was like, that's that's who came in on that helicopter. I'm like, what in the fuck kind of twilight zone am I in now? That we're in the backcountry here. Some random dude comes in with this dog that just, we find out later, happens to be living in this compound that's just down the road and allegedly doing like surveying or something along those lines. And now you have these these two working girls. They're like, okay, this is kind of fucked up. So we don't pay any mind to it. They're just like, oh, we're going to go down here and change. And it's like, yeah, okay, you know, do your thing. So then we don't really see them again. And I'm like, okay, you know, <laughs> like an hour goes by. And then I go down to check on the the gate valve and just make sure everything hasn't blown off and stuff because I left it kind of trickling. And I realized that, you know, like these girls have been down in these other hot springs the whole time. So I see a few cigarette butts down there that weren't there before. And I'm like, fuck, these people are here the whole time. And we didn't even know. Like that's how how immersive this place is in, in your experience that there are going to be other people here. And it's like, you know, they're there, but you don't really know where they went or where they were, but they were in these hot springs. But again, you have like these, these like sex worker women, like in the back country in this place, like it, it's still so mind boggling. It's hard to even accurately tell that part of the story. Cause it just, it just doesn't even make any sense. It's just so random. This helicopter would show up with these two women. And there's this guy with this dog and it was clear as day, like what was going on. And if that wasn't what was going on, I don't know if I would ever believe it, even hearing it out of their mouth. So we realized that they're gone and we all laugh about the situation. We all crack a million jokes about it and stuff. And we're like, okay. And now it's getting a little bit later in the day and I'm like, okay, you know, like, let's have some supper. I'll get a fire going and, you know, people can start to get a little supper ready because I built this massive fire ring with this perfect little flat area off to the side that had these nice rocks that you could cook steaks on because rock cooked steak is the the best steak that you can ever eat. It's so perfect, but you need, if you're going to do it right, you got to create a fire ring with a with a little bit of a nub on it so then you have this nice flat rock section you actually build your fire on that and you get a nice cold bed going and it takes about 45 minutes to an hour then you push your fire into the other part of the fire ring now these rocks are heated up and you dust those rocks off and you put your steaks on and it cooks it like a beautiful cast iron frying pan but i'm telling you there's nothing like a good rock cooked steak so I get the fire going, I get everything all ready, and everybody's kind of getting prepared to eat, and it's you know around like 5, 30, 6 o'clock. And I go walking down to the river, and I realize that the river had rose three feet. It was like the grotto was gone, the food was gone, everything was gone, and I was just in absolute disbelief because I'm like, this is just like the raven from a couple summers ago that went into the water, moved all the rocks, and stole all the meat from our campsite. I'm like, fuck, so I'm like... Oh, well, I might as well go tell everybody. So I walk back up on me. You guys are never going to guess that our food is gone. And everybody's just like, what? And I'm at that second, I realized, I think they thought somebody took it. But I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm like, come down here and check out this river. Like this river is, it's gone up like three or four feet. Like it, it's madness. It's not even like the same river. Like you can hear this river moving boulders in this river. Like it's loud. They're just crashing together. And everybody comes down and takes a look and just astonished about how high this river has rose. You know, and 
the only conclusion that we all came to sitting there is just it was so hot that those glaciers must have just melted like crazy that day and just sent all that water rushing down the mountains and ended up in meager creek and it just it rose the water table instantly but it just made me realize at that moment like if you had crossed that river just to go do some exploring or to do something on the other side and you came back and you seen this river, like you'd have no hope you'd be completely stuck and I'm like how long is it even going to stay like this for so we're like well obviously not meant to eat so I'm like just hang out and eat some chocolate and nuts because I've survived off chocolate and nuts in the backcountry before. And so I'm like, well, I might as well go hang out in the in the hot springs. I don't have anything else to do and just except for stargaze and look up and just enjoy the Milky Way and count the shooting stars and make all the wishes and enjoy the night. So that's what we did. And it gets to be around like 9.30 and it's dark and everybody's tired from not really sleeping the, the night before and all the trek the day before and we're sitting there and all of a sudden Melissa and Shelby say, did you guys hear that? I'm like, no. And they're like, well, we heard a gunshot. And I was like, what? I'm like, okay, well, if there is something going on, there's anybody around here, we might as well get out of this hot spring and at least get changed up and dried off and you know, because if we get in an encounter with anybody, like I'd rather be prepared than to be sitting in here when they roll into the into camp. So we all hop out and we get out and now it has like this eerie feeling of like quiet over everybody because nobody really knows what's going on. And uh, so we all changed up and then everybody's like, yeah, hey, I'm going to bed. And I'm like, all right, I guess everybody's going to bed. That's totally fine. So I roll into a tent and I'm laying there and just hearing all the crack and this and that from the fire and you know it's just dying itself out and the wind's going you hear all the rocks pounding in the in the river still and you know then Shelby and um Mackenzie I think was like both of them like they would pop out and they'd be shining their headlamps around and my tent would light up and it would be it'd wake me up I was just about to fall asleep and it would wake me up because they kept hearing things because now everybody's on edge from hearing this this gunshot and they everybody's hearing these different things that they don't think are kosher sounds that they want to hear in the middle of the night which in the back country there's thousands of those things that are going to keep you up you can either lay there and convince yourself that you know all is good and all will be good so you can just get some sleep or you can let yourself panic and spiral out of control very easily and I've been there you know when you just when you think everything is you know, a noise, especially the night or the morning before when I woke up and they asked me if I heard that thing walking around outside um, in the campsite, that animal. And I was like, no, I'm like, I was sleeping. So like you can sleep through like a lot of that stuff anyway, because again, at the end of the day, like you really only have to be scared of animals if, you know, you get surprised by them or they get surprised by you or, you know, you get in between them and them cubs or, you know, anything along those lines. But like typically if you're just laying there in a tent, like a bear or a cougar is just not going to come attack your tent because you're laying in it. And we get up that morning and you know, I'm brushing my teeth and I'm standing there and I'm like, what do you think the odds are, you know, like that our food is there? So I go wandering down to the river and I'm just shocked. I see these boulders that are like half the size of a small car now in places where they weren't the day before. And I'm like, man, I'm like this water. I just, I look just dumbfounded by how powerful this little, you know, what they call the creek, but I keep calling a river. And the amount of volume that came down and how big these boulders are that, you know, this water moved. And then I look around the corner and I see this tiny little pyramid of rocks 
rocks the size of softballs that's maybe about a foot and a half high that's holding down a plastic bag that's full of our meat. Still there. A couple of jalapeno cheddar smokies, you know, four 10-ounce steaks and a couple of hard-boiled eggs. Still there. Didn't even move. Not like floating down, stuck to a tree branch or, you know, anything along those lines. Just this little pyramid of rocks still sitting there with the food underneath it. And I'm like, yes. I'm like, there is... There is somebody with divine intervention looking out for all of us at this moment because I'm like, there's nothing more that I want right now than good calories to be able to start this crazy journey back out. So then I grab the bag and I run up there and I'm like, you guys will never guess (coughs) what I found. And it's like eight o'clock by this time. And, you know, we agreed to head out by nine so that we could all be home by supper time. And uh, everybody was just shocked and dumbfounded. So I get a fire going immediately. I throw, cut up my steaks and throw them in the pot. And I'm like, I'd love to have rock steak, but I'm going to eat pot cooked steak. Get a coffee going. And then I sat there by that hot spring watching that waterfall. I ate 20 ounces of steak and, you know, two jalapeno cheese smokies and drinking my cup of coffee out of my Yeti cup and just enjoying my life like a fat kid on a Smarty. I just... This is like what moments life are for. This is why I train. This is why I haul stakes into the backcountry. This is why I do it. Just to have this moment right now when I'm just in my element eating food I love and just enjoying every second of it. It was the best way to be able to end the last hour. Oh, I just wish I could marvel in that moment forever. Oh, it's just beautiful. Then I clean up all my stuff. I pack up my bag and everybody's packing up their bag and it's, you know, 9, 9, 15 and, you know, we head out and now everybody's bellies are full and we're about to go and, you know, we have our couple kilometers to walk to be able to get our bikes back out of the bush and, you know, you can tell everybody's anxiety is a little bit high because they're worried about what we're getting ourselves into, about how hard it was. But I kept trying to say to everybody, and it was the common narrative that, you know, it's going to be easier to be able to get back out because all the hard stuff is right at the end of the day yesterday. So we're starting off with doing it today, which is great because you can get over and done with when you feel good and you feel fresh and ready to tackle these obstacles. So we started and we get the bikes and we started barking on and realized that all these hills, they just weren't that bad. We were full of energy. We were great. We were having a good time. We came off this recharging weekend of staying in the backcountry, laying in these hot springs, laying in the river, having a great time. And we charged through it. No problem. I wish I had this, this crazy epic story about just the excruciating nature of the way this bike ride was out, but I don't. Like, I don't have any story like that at all. Yeah, a couple people fell on their bikes and got a little banged up and stuff. And, you know, like, that's okay. But, like, there was no struggle. There's no talking to yourself. There's no coaching yourself. There's no, like, you know, just digging deep into the soul. There was was none of that. It was was just, it was easy. It was joyful. It was an experience. It was welcomed. It was, it was awesome. It was the perfect experience perfect way to be able to end it just challenging but not excruciating just riding the bike down the you know fsr road bruising your butt but enjoying every moment of it still never ran into a bear seen lots of fresh bear scat seen bear claw you know or bear 
paw tracks, a little bit of claws showing that it was a black bear, it wasn't a grizzly bear. But it was just amazing that the way that that morning worked out all the way to the end. And then we get back to the cars and we start to trickle in. It took about four hours and four hours and 20 minutes for me to get back to the car. And then everybody was like, you know, kind of in groups behind. We stuck together for all of it, except for like the last six or seven K. And then I'm like, I'm just going to ride this out. You know, then in groups of two, they started to come in 10 minutes after each other. By two o'clock, everybody was back. And by 2.15, we were packed up and ready to go. And we hit Pemberton and I drove with Melissa back to Whistler. And then I hopped in with Heather and those guys and uh, we drove home. And it was just a wonderful time. A wonderful time. Like from building stuff to helicopters to hookers to hot springs to ice baths to grottos to losing your food to getting your food to, you know, poor trail descriptions and insane physical feats to not going on the hike to seeing this guy and this dog to finding the old, you know, hot spring site. Like it was just, it was so many memories packed into one that even when I recap this now, it feels like I've only told like a quarter of the story from everything that actually happened. So many things happened and so many things happened in the moment that it's hard to go back and recap all of them and how each one of those things actually even felt when we were going through them. But again, I just, I thank the lucky stars. I thank God. I thank mother nature. I thank the ability. I thank my parents. I thank my friends. I thank everything in life that gives me the opportunity to be able to do the things that I do with the people that I do them with because this weekend was nothing short of amazing. So I hope that this past weekend that you did something to be able to create stories that you can sit around a campfire and tell or that this inspires you to be able to get out and go do something, to be able to create stories so that when you're sitting around a campfire, you have something useful to say. So thank you for listening. This weekend was amazing. I would highly, highly suggest if you want to put yourself through four, five, six hours of hell to get there, go do it because it is worth every single beat of your heart. Thank you.